Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, of course. But if you are one, it's definitely the place for you. We have an exciting show for you today, folks. Our guest is someone I've been trying to book for a number of months, so I'm very excited that it's finally happened. Barry Monish is here to discuss his work as editor of the latest volume of Screen World, an impressive book series that's much admired by movie buffs everywhere. Barry is also co-author of Lucille Ball, FAQ, and author of Music on Film, West Side Story, Encyclopedia of Hollywood Film Actors from the Silent Era to 1965, Hollywood Musicals, Year by Year, and Everybody's Talking, the Top Films of 1965-1969. It's no surprise to me, after learning about those books that Barry has been involved with, that he lists his major interests as, quote, movies, motion pictures, and film in that order, unquote. When I found that out, I knew he was a natural for our show. However, I understand he can also be counted on for trivia pertaining to TV, theater, and musicals. He admits... Only being qualified to do jobs that require watching TV during working hours. And lucky for Barry, his job involves doing research for the Paley Center for Media. Welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters, Barry. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm (laughs) listening to my own introduction and cracking up. Where did you get that from? No, I know. It, it, it came from our website here. I know exactly where You can't it came keep from. these things quiet with, I the, know. with the Internet. <laughs> oh, we, well, you know what, Barry? We're so glad that you're taking some time away from watching TV to be with us today. <laughs> I know, yes. It's a hard-knock life, isn't it? So. <laughs> we have lots of questions for you. But mm-hmm. first, let's check with um, Morgan Lawrence, who's multitasking today as uh, – co-host and chat wrangler to see if he's ready to help with the show yeah Hi, Morgan. we are absolutely glad to be here feel like i uh should have my armani tux on with that that great introduction to have such a great <laughs> guest on the show here today uh the chat room's filling up nicely there's um Fast Eddie, and we have a number of guests who are in there um as well as jules seven KY, which I have no idea what that means, and then someone named Molo911 is in there, as well as more and more guests are signing in as we speak. So the guest room is full, and the green room is busy. Well, we want to make sure that that we have the red carpet out for all of our chatters, and I want to thank you, Morgan, for... Uh, for pitching in for uh, for Nikki today, and I also uh, would like 
you to tell a little bit uh, before we get started with uh, Barry's interview about your own uh, television activities. Well, I'm uh, I'm shooting a pilot for HBO at the moment in uh, South Florida down here. Um, it's kind of a dark comedy called The Old Man and the Jew, but that's the working title. Oh, I don't think that's going to be the finished title. <laughs> and uh, I'm doing book signings for my book uh, in uh, Florida and North Carolina throughout the holidays, uh, as well as doing numerous radio interviews around the country. Well, you are a busy guy, Morgan, and uh, just for listeners who don't know it, uh, the name of your book, which is a very exciting book, is The Streets Ran Red. So busy as you are, we're happy that you found time uh, to be here also. Now, I know you're interested in some of the same things that Barry is interested in. So what would you like to ask him to get things started? I guess my first real question, and of course it's about Lucille Ball, all right. But what do you think, as far as her, if she had a regret, which I never, I've never read anything that said she did, but if there was a regret, do you think would Lucille Ball ever have one, and what it was? Um. Yeah, I guess the 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 most painful thing about her life was that her first marriage didn't work. So I don't know if you'd say she regretted. Marrying Desi Arnaz, obviously she didn't because it was part of her fortune, uh, them getting together and, and making this successful TV series. But uh, I always got the impression that when she spoke, the one thing you could sense a little bit of bitterness about was the fact that she wanted so badly for that marriage to work and it did not. Oh, um, uh, yes. Yeah, so um, maybe that would be the closest thing to a regret, that it was not the perfect marriage that she hoped it would be. It, it was always oh, impressive glad. to me how much she did, even in her later years, as far as physicality. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, she um, she kept in very good shape. Uh, one of the things she was most proud of were her legs. And I think right up to the, the very end, the very last year in 1989 that she died, when she was on her way to the Oscars, when she was going into the theater, um, she sort of flipped her gown back so pe the audience could see her legs and they <laughs> broke into applause because she was still in this was you know she was 77 years old and her leg, legs were just in impeccable shape still great set of wheels well, she, yep. <laughs> yeah she was she was amazing and uh you you know Barry we we had James Sheridan your co-writer oh, for yeah. that that terrific Lucille Ball book mm. on our show back in back in August and he he just uh, talked about how important you were in writing that book uh, oh, and um, nice. how yeah. you contributed uh, so much to it in terms of the uh, the musical aspect of uh, uh, Lucille Ball's career. I was particularly interested in the section where uh, you mentioned whether her songs were dubbed, you know, which songs were right. dubbed. Right. And which songs that that she that she sang, and I I, I thought that the song that she did in uh, Dance Girl Dance, right? It was sort of like she was a burlesque sort yes. of a burlesque dancer, yes, singer, exactly. performer, and it was Mama. It was my mother told me, uh, or what do I do now? It's one one or the other. But I hope she used her own voice in that. Yeah, that one. That one was her, yeah. I mean, for the most part in the uh, the movies, um, they wanted her to play these roles, but she wasn't really a singer. So um, 
but in that particular case, they figured since she was playing sort of a, you know, second-rate burlesque performer, she didn't need like a solid set of pipes, so to speak. So they just let her sing with her own voice, which I, I think uh, very much works. Yeah, Mother, what do I do now? I'm looking it up in my own book. I couldn't get the title right either. Mother, what do I do now? Is the is the title? Yeah, but that's that's really that's Lucy's voice. Is. Yeah. Well, good, so, and she she was great in that. And she yeah. just actually had the whole she had the whole uh, audience there. She she just had a rapport there, and I felt like I was kind of sitting in a burlesque show. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was. And then I'm always quick to point out what a what a good actress she was. I mean, everyone knows how funny she was. So a lot of people just inadvertently think of her as a comedian, which she was definitely not. She was an actress who just knew how to play comedy so well. So I'm always pointing out to people, you know, if you if you look beyond I Love Lucy and her series, watch some of her movies and you'll see how good she really is. She's really, really quite terrific. Yeah. One of the things that. repetitively I've seen is that if you take any great comedian or comedian, you'll find that there's probably a very high intellect or a mobility capability behind that individual. You can't be stupid and be funny. You really it takes a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Uh, I mean, one of the people that uh, it was always pointed to, who was just you know dynamite at playing comedy, um, was uh, Judy Holliday. And you know she excelled. She won her Oscar for playing a dumb blonde, basically, in Born Yesterday. And everyone was quick to point out how incredibly intelligent this woman was when you spoke to her. I mean, she was nothing like that character that she played. So in order to play someone that dumb, she had to be that smart. They said, and I, I see what they mean. I, I had absolutely. a yeah. conversation with Cindy Lauper years hmm. ago. Uh, backstage, and I had already seen her in her videos and her music and stuff like that, and I, when I actually had a conversation with her, believe it or not, it was about NFL football, and this woman was very, very well-versed, uh-huh. and she was an intelligent conversationalist, and I, I was really kind of taken by that. Uh, she she had a lot more capabilities. Um, she didn't really get to show her capabilities until she started doing bits on uh, Mad About You with Paul Reiser and uh, mm. Helen Hunt. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, 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 a truth about a lot of people in show business. Uh, people just often assume that they're pretty limited, that they're pretty pretty dumb people. Like Frank Sinatra, for example, spent a lot of time reading books. He was always reading books because he didn't like that image of oh, this kind of dumb, dumb hood who became a a great singer. I mean, that people threw upon him that wasn't true. So he was he was always like you know trying to. Uh, you know, better his mind all the time by reading, which I thought was interesting. So. That's right. I, I never heard about that before. So yeah, you you know a lot about a lot of different movie stars because you that's that's your that's your that's your main interest: motion pictures and movies and film, <laughs> yeah. and in that order. Now, I wanted to turn to the um, to the main topic that we we had asked you to speak on today, which is the latest volume of Screen World, and I have to tell you, uh, I was so lucky to get a review copy sent to me by your uh, publicist, Jamie Nelson, Right. and what a gorgeous, comprehensive addition <laughs> this is to that annual book series. You did a great editing job. Oh, well, thank you very um, much. Sherry, I love the photos 
and the and the way that it, it serves as, as a res, resource for anyone who wants to know everything about the movies that were released in 2010. I love the way you you actually listed the top movies, the top box office stars, and I was so glad to see Johnny Depp at the top. Yeah, <laughs> still my heart, and then also the top movies. I was so surprised that so many animated movies were. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, box office hits, and then new faces, new the best new uh, actors on the scene that uh, that made a you know a beginning into 2010. Hmm. The the photographs are just out of this world and uh, every I think every movie that was released here whether it was foreign or domestic <laughs> is listed so congratulations oh on, thank on you this, very much yeah, it, book. what do you what do you consider the most important highlights of this uh, book that you edited so brilliantly well um, basically this is a format that was begun back in 1950 by Daniel Blum um, who's long passed on, uh, that was then picked up by John Willis and then by me. Um, so actually this book uh, has been covering movies in this pretty similar format. I mean, we've expanded on it over the years. Uh, pretty similar format since uh, the films of 1949 was the first year really? that it actually spotlighted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just fell in love with this book when I came across it in the 70s, long before I worked for it. And I thought, what a great idea, because you actually had a chronicle of every year in film, since it came out yeah. annually, covering every film exactly as it opened, as opposed to looking back upon it. You know how a lot of people will look back on certain films and build them up in, in uh, importance or not realize how important they were because they're looking from you know a modern perspective. But this was a book that was released each year at the time, so you got an idea of what you know, the big films were each year, who the important stars were, depending on who was spotlighted and what films were spotlighted. And once I got involved in it, I thought, you know, I just wanted to keep expanding it in any way that we can. So, you know, I added in the top box office films of the year. I added in the um, the Oscar-nominated performers, not just the winners, because I like the idea of paying tribute to the people who got that far, not just those who right. won the final award. Um, so it's just, um, you know, I, I just want to be able to present the most comprehensive picture of what the year looked like in film, you know, for as a reference book. It's not a critical book per se. It's just basically a reference. Yeah. Absolutely, and for of course for for critics like me, I mean, it's it's just a, a gem, and it, any movie fans would absolutely love it. I liked very much your introduction. Oh, to this thanks. volume, where you titled it "The Kids Are Online," <laughs> but the movies are still all right. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I try to tie was... in some film title into the title of the uh, the essay in the beginning, right? Exactly. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, and what I try to do with the essay in the beginning is spotlight the positive of the year, not the negative. Uh, I don't particularly want to write a piece telling you this movie wasn't good, that movie wasn't good. I, I want to concentrate on what I think were the the highlights of the year, what what made the, the year worthwhile. And there's always worthwhile films every year, uh, I think. Absolutely, even though we there there are a lot that are not so worthwhile. Oh, sure, um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I like the, you know, accentuating the positive. Although you did mention about the uh, 
sequels galore. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> and, and the movie and the movies uh, without actors in them. Too many movies without actors in them. But you also pointed out that that some movie um, stu- not movie studios, but the the people that own the movie houses, the multiplexes, are claiming that they're use that they're losing the youth market. Yeah, there was a um, several uh, articles I had read last year that said that they were surprised to see people showing up for films like The King's Speech and The Social Network, even though The Social Network involves youth, really, that so many of them were adults. And they uh, were getting the impression that some of the top films of the year, the ones that were not <laughs> the animated films, um, were actually uh, adult-driven at the box office more so than the the usual teen or uh, 20-something-year-olds that for the past several years have been the guiding force at the box office, which I actually I thought was kind of a interesting and hopeful thing to hear about because I got the impression for years, going back a few years, that adults were abandoning movies for you know, just strictly staying at home and watching them when they came on cable television or DVD. Mm-hmm. So um, so if people are getting interested again, I think it's something we should consider, uh, you know, concentrating more on adult-themed movies. You know? Do you think the, um, the effects and uh, computer graphic interfaces are... Um, I, I don't really know for sure, but do you think that they're they're helping or hurting um, as far as the writing is concerned of a real quality uh, scripts and and stuff that's out there now. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I I think that there is a problem sometimes with the... the, um, They're they're so quick to try to awe people with the visual look of a film um, that they don't bother to think about how the story is being driven, how the characters are being written. I mean, the interesting thing, if you look at movies from the past, I mean, my favorite decade for movies, I'm always quick to say, is the 60s. But if you look at an action film from the 60s, um, you know, certain films that were known as quote-unquote action films like Bullet with Steve McQueen, they're incredibly intellectual. It's a very intellectual film. It's very dialogue-driven. It's not dependent just on that big car chase. Um, There's a good plot going on there. There's interesting characters. And I think that some people nowadays are, are losing sight of that and just saying, how big can we make these special effects? in their parts. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, uh, special effects are all very well as long as they, they just, they're part of the story, not the only reason that you're there. My favorite during oh. that period, of course, was The Odd Couple with uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, oh, yeah. and I just loved that film to death. Oh, absolutely. It has one of my favorite scenes in it that can still make me laugh to this day when uh, Jack Lemmon starts having his throat clearing in the middle of the restaurant. You know. Oh movie? yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's just every time I see it, I, I laugh as hard as I did when I saw it as a kid. It's just I just thought that funny. Well, it was yeah, so the, interesting reading your introduction because you did you did point these things out and and without being. Uh, completely negative or very yeah. negative at all I mean because you did mention uh, how many wonderful films that we had I was glad you you mentioned City Island because that didn't get with Andy Garcia and yes, that did yes. not get as much acclaim as I thought it should have gotten I th- I agree with you I, I thought it would at least get in the Oscar nominations for its screenplay perhaps because um, that was a film that in the New York area at least it, you know it came out and it wasn't 
heralded, to, to say the least. The critics were okay to it, and I was under the impression it was going to disappear, and then it hung on for a, a lot longer, I think, because the word of mouth was pretty good on it. Um, and, and yeah, I thought it was I thought it was quite quite delightful when I saw it. So, I did too, and yeah. uh, I thought that uh, it was one of Andy Garcia's best performances. Yeah, now, I absolutely. understand that there's an important book trailer coming out for this new volume of Screen World, and that you're involved in that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> Bad news travels fast, huh? Um, <laughs> yes, I actually. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, Jamie uh, forced me at gunpoint, basically, to f- make a little uh, film uh, trailer to pitch this book. Uh, and she she came up with all this right off the top of her head and all. She had me acting out moments from The Social Network and True Grit and Harry Potter, and and it was thoroughly embarrassing, I'm sure, to watch. But I haven't seen it yet. Um, but I, I was game. Wait. I was game for it, you know, because anything to sell the book. <laughs> But um, it was actually fun. It was actually fun to do it. Well, I I think according uh, at least according to what Jamie said, that uh, it's going to be available for everyone to see. Oh boy! Right this this Friday. Oh boy! And and uh, listeners, okay, you can take take this link down. YouTube. That's of course y o u t u b e dot com slash user slash performing arts books and uh check that out on friday so we can we can see what barry's talking about and and uh, and, and can <laughs> i can i add can i add yes. after you see it please still buy the book <laughs> okay no matter what you think of it <laughs> i can so relate to that statement Yes. <laughs> well, I I really am looking forward to to seeing that, and I I do want to ask you also about another uh, book that you've been involved with that I'm yeah. very very interested in, because I'm the world's most avid movie musical fan. So I know that you did um, the West Side Story. You did yes. a lot of research for West Side Story for yeah. music on film. So of course I have to ask why you believe this musical receives so much acclaim. I, I mean, we're celebrating now its 50th anniversary, right. and it's still, you know, people are still uh, very much interested in that film. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a lot of musicals from the past that hold up. Um, well, I should I, let me rephrase that. I love a lot of musicals from the past, but it, that um, seem to um, hold up with so many different generations and reach so many different demographics as that movie does. I mean, there's a lot of terrific musicals made during that period before and after that a lot of people from today's generation don't even know exist. But I've seen this movie affect people um, in the 70s, uh, in my college years, later into the 90s, uh, Recent talking to high school students recently who still find this movie and just are are drawn to it in ways that they're they're never going to be drawn to another musical from that era before or even afterwards. It just has this magic pull on people because it just I think it speaks to to so many different types of people. Um and as I point out in the book, I think one of the key things that has made it work is the connection to Romeo and Juliet, the fact that it's Absolutely. based on Romeo and Juliet. Because uh, I always said that I think that if there's one Shakespeare play that you can reach anybody with, it's Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I think that they yeah. find so much to relate to in that story. 
um, especially young people. And I think that that's an essential reason behind it. I mean, on top of which, it's just a terrific musical. The, the score is great. I always thought that um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was a lot like Taming of the Shrew. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting that the, the Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor did that, uh, both versions, both uh, uh, film versions of both of them, back-to-back, you know. basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, yeah, I never thought but of it that way. But there's been no musical of uh, Virginia Woolf yet. Well, I, on West Side Story, if I remember right, it won 10 Oscars. I think it was mm-hmm. nominated for 11. 11, yes, yeah, exactly. And won 10 Ten Oscars. Ten Oscars and, uh, plus a special one for uh, Jerome Robbins. Uh, he was actually given a special award that same year. So. Well, that's right. Wasn't there a uh, there was some kind of a problem with with Jerome Robbins directing the film, and then Robert Wise Robert Wise came in. Well, they they were both the directors from the start. I mean, the whole idea oh. was that they were both going to direct the film. And um, the idea was that Robbins was going to handle the musical end, and Robert Wise, who had more experience behind the camera, was going to basically deal with the dramatic aspects. And Jerome Robbins was one of the great perfectionists in the history of entertainment. I mean, the stories about him are legendary about what a taskmaster he was. He was never pleased with anything. So him trying to direct this movie was excruciating they said because he just he was never pleased he just wanted to shoot over and over and over and over again and it was robert wise who was trying to you know shape it back into a feasible (laughs) motion picture in terms of the amount of time they spent filming it and finally the the producers just they they, they'd had enough about halfway through the production they made the very controversial decision to fire jerome robbins uh, considering he was the heart and soul of the piece and it was up to Robert Wise to carry on without him. Um, and a lot of, fortunately, a lot of the musical aspect of the film was done already by that point. So uh, basically, it was up to Robert Wise to just carry on with the um, the more dramatic scenes and all. But um, yeah, that was kind of a, a, a controversial decision. I think one of the reasons that the Academy did give him the special Oscar was sort of an apology <laughs> for for doing that to him. They invited him to Hollywood to become part of the scene and then they basically kick him out. So, uh, and he never did uh, make another film. He never had another thing to do with a movie ever again after that. So, Oh my gosh. Well, he yeah. really did a, a beautiful job on oh, the sure. dances, the dances for that. And evidently he rehearsed the dances for oh, about yeah. three months before the movie even started. Yeah. I think, is that oh, right? Yeah. yeah, no, he did. Yeah. He, as far as he was concerned, it was like they were putting on a stage show and he'd worked with several of these people already. I mean, a lot of the dancers in that film had been in, uh, you know, different uh, productions of West Side Story, so they were even familiar with this. But he wanted it re-rehearsed and re-rehearsed for the camera. Um, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, people talk about what a how harsh he was, and yet at the same time, they always praise how brilliant he was. Um, Did you know that that uh, is one of the few movies that's recommended by the American Psychiatric Association in divorce therapy? <laughs> no, I really did. that I did it not. Absolutely is. Now I, I have to rewrite that, the book. But, <laughs> I have given that I have given that copies of that movie away to women I've had in therapeutic sessions uh, who were going through divorce, divorce depression. I said, you know, go home, have a glass of wine, make some popcorn, watch this movie. 
and let let some of this stuff wash over you, and we'll start back in later. And believe it or not, it's a cognitive behavioral therapy that really does work. Is that right? Considering how it ends up at the end of the film for the man. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> but they, yeah. it's sort of like a cleansing ceremony for them. Mm, interesting. That's very that's very interesting. Well, you know, Barry, you also did um, wrote the the book Hollywood Musicals Year by Year. Uh, I found a kindred spirit here with your your interest in musicals. Oh yeah, no, I, I love absolutely musicals. have to ask you which movie musicals you think have been the most entertaining. Um, well, I have so many. I mean, well, West Side Story is <laughs> one too. of them right there. I, I, I again, I I have this obsession with the 60s but um i love that in the 60s all uh, of the, all the films that won the best picture oscar four of them are musicals uh west side story mm-hmm. my fair lady the sound of music and oliver and those are just four of my favorite films right off the top of my head i can tell you that i just love all four of them and um i'm glad to see that in recent years the the, the musicals have sort of made a comeback sort of i say because <laughs> not like the old days when they you know, had 20 and 30 musicals coming out a year, but it's nice to see that audiences did respond well to things like Chicago and Hairspray and, and a few others, Dreamgirls, I mean, actually did well at the box office. Because um, I, I think that the movies are a poorer place when you don't have musicals in them, to tell you the truth. Some, I'm, I'm with you, Betty. Some of the Betty dancing Beth. shows on TV that are making a comeback, and I think they're really generating the movies for dance as well. When you have yeah. shows like Glee and Dancing with the Stars, that I can't so. do anything but help it. Yeah, absolutely. Because for years there was this onus on musicals that, oh, the, people suddenly thought they were very corny and square and, and whatnot and, and were staying away from them, and which I thought was a shame because uh, when you can pull them off and, and tell a, a story through song and dance, when you do it well, I, it's just like the most exhilarating form of entertainment to me. I mean, it's just I just love it. I mean, wouldn't the movies have been a poorer place without Fred Astaire? Oh, please. <laughs> I mean, think about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things that I, that I wanted to ask you. Which which uh, performers in movie musicals do you think were the were the best or were your favorite? Oh, well, Stare, uh, hands down. He was just he was just the greatest. I mean, he he was just he he made it look so effortless, which of course came from. Weeks and weeks and months and months of rehearsal. And the great ones always do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the the classic stars of the musicals are, are classic stars for a good reason. Judy Garland uh, I mean, oh, is just one of the uh, amazing talents. I mean, uh, there was you felt like there was nothing she couldn't do well. I mean, she just sort of had this eerie talent where she, if you asked her to do comedy, she was hilarious. If you asked her to dance, she kept up with Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. Uh, if you asked her to, I mean, singing, I mean, as we all know, oh. I mean, uh, you know, who could touch her as far as singing? I mean, she was just amazing. I mean, just truly amazing. Um, again, Gene Kelly is just wonderful. One of my favorite musical stars is somebody who's not even a musical star, James Cagney. I just love watching James Cagney oh. dance. Yeah, I mean. Oh, my gosh, I just dandy. saw him the other night doing that uh Shanghai. Oh, uh, Shanghai Ruby Lil Port. from uh, Shanghai Lil with Ruby Keeler. Oh yeah, he's great. I mean, he's just wonderful when he gets up on the bar and dances with her. He's just, I love watching him because nobody else dances like he does. I mean, it's so unique that weird way that he sort of tenses up part of his body and dances on his toes and everything. It's just, it's just, it's just great. 
He did that bit with George M. Cohen for Yankee Doodle Dandy. And I, you know, over the years I've watched that uh, uh, countless times. Yeah. And there was absolutely no one else I could put in that spot that could have done that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just – the funny thing is the the um, the very um, few uh, uh, little footage that we have of George M. Cohan um, – I don't think he's anywhere near as dynamic as James Cagney is, ironically. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's nowhere near as interesting a, a, a singer, a dancer, a, an actor, a, any of that. So it, it's kind of funny. Cagney you kind of feel like Jay Cohan's looking over, down from somewhere saying, man, did this guy make me look good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Well, I haven't I haven't seen seen that. I'm going to have to have to get some some clips of of George M. Cohan. My great uncle Charlie did uh, the George George M. Cohan um roles in the uh what is it when you take the show on the road? <laughs> so, oh, on the so road I, version. Yeah. Yeah, the road right, the road show uh, version. So I'm going to have to have to get look more into that. Well, what do you think what did you think this year? About um, the reimagining of Footloose. Um, the fun, well, here's here's my confession to you. I I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, I I didn't. I couldn't for the life of me understand why they were remaking it, because yeah. you know it's it's to me it seems so contemporary. Um, Footloose also contains one of my favorite modern actors, Kevin Bacon. I just adore Kevin Bacon, yes. and I just said I'll. If I get around to it, I'll get around to it, and I just have not gotten around to it. So tell me if you've seen it. What do you, what do you feel about it? I was so surprised because I felt the very same way that you felt, but it it really worked. And, Does it really? Um, and the dances, and of course they kept the the number. They kept mm-hmm. the footloose number. Yeah. And uh, I was pleased about that. The dances, uh, this Kenny Wormald, he he was just wonderful. He really, it was a different sort of interpretation. And of course, nobody is Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And then Julianne Huff from uh, from Dancing with the Stars. Uh, was excellent. She there wasn't enough dancing in it, but of course that was my that's my complaint about every movie. I mean, oh yeah, no. Say, you say that yeah. about every movie. Absolutely, don't you? no, <laughs> I agree. You know the funny but thing too. I'll, I'll also tell you, <laughs> Betty Jo. I'm sorry, but that I did. I, I was kind of take um, uh, turned off by it too because I don't know if you remember this. This version originally started out as a full musical. And it was supposed oh, to no, be. I didn't know that. Yes, it was supposed to be an adaptation. Remember when they uh, brought it to Broadway uh, several years ago, and they, they yeah. made it into a full musical. It was supposed to be a version of that. And Kenny Ortega, um, who was behind the High School Musicals movie and, and Newsies, was supposed to be the director on it. And Zac Efron was supposed to be the, yeah, uh, right. the star. Oh yeah, Zac. Yeah, and. They the Paramount started getting nervous, saying, "Oh no!" On second thought, maybe we don't want it to be a musical. And Kevin uh, Kenny Ortega walked off the film. He said, "I I signed on because I thought this was going to be a musical." And Zac Efron left too. I mean, they both suddenly realized wow. that the, the reason they wanted to do the film was not what Paramount wanted to do. And so they everybody 
took a hike and they brought in all new people. So that was another reason I kind of steered away from it where I said, well, gee, the thing I wanted to see was the full musical version of Footloose, not the, you know, the direct remake. But, you know, if you say it's, it, it's still worthwhile, maybe it's something I should still yes. check out. I, I recommend yeah. it. I, uh, yeah. And my husband agreed and he doesn't always agree with me on, <laughs> on movies and my daughter also. So that was two generations watching it and, uh-huh. uh, and enjoying it, and none of us went in there expecting much, so we didn't have high expectations, so we were yeah. very pleasantly yeah. surprised. But uh, uh, so that's something for you to put to put on your, okay. on your list. Okay, I will. Indeed. I wanted to. The the time is just going by so fast. It's it's so interesting talking with you. But oh, I, no, I you. in case there are some people listening who um, are wondering about Screen World and music on film, uh, and since you uh work as editor on on uh, both of these uh, book series how did you, how did you become involved uh with that type of work well um the well the the long story or the short story i'll try to i'll try to tell the, the condensed version um actually it came by accident um thanks to some errors in a volume of screen roll back in the 80s um cuz i was an avid collector of the book every year and I was surprised at some of the mistakes I saw. So I actually wrote a letter to John Willis, who was the editor at the time, um, pointing all these things out. And when I didn't hear from him, I wrote a letter the following year. And I went through the next volume, you know, page by page, doing the same thing. And I didn't do it in a, you know, a pain in the ass sort of matter. <laughs> I was trying to be, you know, just pointing these things out. And I finally did hear from him. And he was so impressed that I had caught these things. It just so happened that the person that was assisting him on the book was leaving because uh, he was an actor and he was going to resume his acting career. And he asked me if I wanted to come in and work on it. And it was just one of those wow. fortuitous things. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I said, absolutely. And this was back in 1988. And he was very impressed by my credentials in terms of knowing so much about movies that he just kept me on. So, And then that snowballed into doing all these other books and also yeah i've i've it was it was pure luck i guess but I, i'm very grateful well, well there's a lesson there to uh people who are interested in jobs like that yeah <laughs> if Some, you find errors and you and you handle it as well as you did yeah i guess so right it's like the squeaky wheel well, I, I guess as they say you know it's the grease. Well, you're so. just uh, in the right in the right spot, and they're very lucky to uh, to have you. Okay. Uh, where can our listeners get a copy of, of Screen World 2010, Volume 62? Well, um, I guess uh, you could go online to Amazon, of course. Um, it's it's carried in most uh, Barnes and Nobles, I believe. Um, you know, we're losing our bookstores, unfortunately, but you know, Barnes yeah. and Noble usually has them. Um, and uh, I guess they could go right to the Hal Leonard uh, Publishing Applause Book site and order from them too. Um, and uh, go online too and collect ba- past volumes too. It's it's a great it's a great collector's uh, set to have. I mean, if you can get the whole series back to 1949, which is, it's, wow. you'd have the whole history of films. There's a little light reading for the bed stand. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I highly recommend this book to uh, to movie fans everywhere. Oh, and um, we have one last question for for you, uh, Barry, and I'm, okay. I'm very un- unhappy that we haven't had uh, time to check with our chatters, but there's just been so much uh, to talk about with, uh, with Barry. But... Uh, 
what do you want what's the most important thing that you want people to know about you and your work um I guess that that I am um, a supporter of movies. I love movies. I, there are a lot of people out there who write about movies, whether it's books, blogs, or whatever, and they they do it so venomously with so much, uh, I don't know, negativity and anger about films. I know that there's plenty of things wrong with films, believe me. Uh, everybody has their list of <laughs> horrible movies every year. But I'm, I like to concentrate on the positive. I want people, when they pick these books up, to know that I really uh, – I, I, I'm in awe of what people do in the movies. Uh, I couldn't do it. You know, directing, acting, writing. I mean, I, I think it's pretty amazing when it all comes together and it works as wonderfully as it does so many times. Uh, so – um, that's the thing I want people to know that that when I write about movies, I write with love, not criticism so much. Well, it certainly comes through in in the work that you've done that I'm I've been exposed to, oh, and I you. I do admire what you're doing, and I hope that our listeners will take advantage of uh, the suggestion to uh, order a copy of Screen World yes, or Music on Film and. Um, I want to thank you so much okay, for sure. being with us today, Barry. You, you've been such a great guest, and may you continue doing jobs that require watching TV during work hours, okay? <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> this is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support and for featuring this episode as one of today's picks. We really appreciate uh, that special thanks to Morgan Lawrence for being with us today, and uh, thanks to our chatters and other listeners. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come back next week for our special Muppet Mania show, and don't be surprised if we get a fun visit from Kermit. And Miss Piggy, I think Morgan Lawrence is working on that right now. In the Even meantime, as we speak. don't <laughs> in the meantime, don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R E E L realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. So let's ask Kenny Loggins to take us out with one of our favorite movie musical numbers that I hope will encourage Barry to see this movie. <laughs> Get ready, everyone. Here comes, you guessed it, Footloose. 